if you're going through something very difficult right now, maybe your marriage isn't going well, maybe you're struggling with a mental illness or depression and anxiety, maybe you feel all alone, maybe you feel broken. My next guest is, her name is Tiffany Lee, and she goes by her stage name, Plum, and she is a Christian artist and very well-known author and performer. Uh, she has sold more than a million um, albums, over two million singles worldwide. She co-pins songs with numerous other artists, including Michelle Branch and Mendeza and Mandy Moore, Jackie Velasquez and Natalie Grant. <laughs> and the list goes on and on. And her music has been played in films and TV shows. And she is just a, a great person. And what you may not know is her personal story and her struggle in her marriage. And she is going to open up and uh, on, on this episode. And I want you to hear her. I want you to listen to her. Now, don't be turned off if you're not a Christian and you don't like all the Christian babble. This is not about that. It's about her personal struggle and her faith in God. And it's not preachy at all. And if you are a believer, I want you to hear the hope that Tiffany shares. No matter what you're going through, what you're experiencing, there is hope and you have a story. So I want you to listen to a broken marriage and God's redeeming story with Plum coming up. Welcome to the Mental Health Today show. My name is John Cordray. I am a board certified counselor and the host of the Mental Health Today show. And I am very excited to introduce to you Tiffany Lee, or better known as Plum, uh, the Christian performer and artist who has sold lots and lots of albums and been in front of a lot of people. She is now going to talk about her story with you. So really what I'm uh, wanting to do with my the episodes of my podcast, when I interview people, I love to hear their story. Okay. And I know you have a story. You say it very well in your book. And a story of really of brokenness. And I know you talk about bruise, you're bruised in the book. Um, you can go as personal as you want, or you don't have to go real personal. But I, I will guarantee you this. People who are listening to my episodes, they're going to relate, and they're hurting, and really that's the only one of the main reasons why they listen to my show is because they're hurting in some way. Yeah. And so if you can be as personable, as real uh, with them, and, and in this, uh, my, my interview here, that's going to speak to them like no other. Uh, because I think they look at people such as yourself, and you seem to have it all together. You've got this incredible story. And you're on stage with thousands of people. You have albums. You have books. And wow, you're a rock star. And so they look at you and they say, wow, she has it all together. And I know you're shaking your head and you're saying, no, I don't. That's exactly right. And that's the story that I want to get out there. We, the truth is none of us have it all together. <coughs> So, okay. Well, that's just kind of what I'm wanting to do. Um, what I, I do. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a storyteller and I'm as real as I possibly can be. So 
Um, I've I've found no, I found nothing positive or healthy or helpful about being disingenuous or, you know, smoke and mirrors or mysterious. I mean, all of that. None, nothing positive has really come from any of that in my lifetime. And so I think the the only thing I can attribute even having this career to is just being myself. Yeah. And, yeah. and God using that. So. No secrets to hide. So, yeah. Well, Plum, I am so excited. I'm, I, I have to say I'm really kind of beside myself that you're able to take the time out of your busy schedule because I know you've been on tour and I know you've been doing a lot of different things. And yet you're taking a little bit of time today to talk to my listeners and share your story. And I know a lot of people look to you as... Here's someone who has it all together. She is a major Christian artist, and she has tours, and she's on stage in front of thousands of people, and she has a book out, and she's all these things. And, and it'd be it's so easy to look at your life and who you are and say, well, she has it all together. Look at her. But I know, I know that you don't have it all together, and you are very open about it. And we're going to, well, I'll talk a little bit more later about your book because your book, you're very open and very transparent. And that's one of the things that I am so excited to be able to hear your story because I think your story will relate to other people who are listening to this. So, Plum, can you just start us with your story? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, well, I... Grew up in a Christian home. I sang all my life, but never anticipated being a recording artist. Um, it was sort of my hobby. It was some people really involved in athletics or um, you know various different activities. And mine was always singing um, choir, school choir, church choir, coffee shops. Uh, and as I got into my teens, homeless shelters, nursing homes, um, you know, coffee shops and things like that. And so I um, just thought music was something that I would always enjoy being a part of and never, ever, ever pursued it as a career. A label approached me um, after I had been asked to sing backup for somebody and then somebody else asked me and that kind of just grew from there um, into the backup singing studio, singing in the studio circuit. And so I got a call from a label assuming that was for more studio work or for singing live with one of their artists and it was actually for me. And so... Um, Plum was born, and the, the name Plum came from a song uh, of an artist that I loved named Suzanne Vega. She has a song called My Favorite Plum, and it was because they had asked me to come up with a band name. And um, so I was excited to do that. I didn't really want to go by my, my actual name, Tiffany, just because that name had already been pretty popular in the 80s. And So um, there I was making a band, and the band never signed. It was always just me, and um, I wrote the songs, and... So after a couple of records, I switched labels, and that label began to promote Plum as a girl instead of a band because they were like, you know, truthfully speaking, Plum is a girl. And although she has a band, you know, the, the band is not signed, and we have different members kind of swapping in and out. And so here I was, Plum the artist. And so I've been um, full-fledged doing that since '01, um, as, as promoting myself just as the artist, not the band. And fast forward, you you know, get married and you have kids and you're making records and touring all over the world. And you're right. You do kind of probably give off this impression that you kind of have everything together because 
why wouldn't you? Because, you know, somehow the, the culture around you has kind of put you on a pedestal and put you in front of people on stage and they're interviewing you and they're asking for your autograph. And so surely you're someone to be admired because you've got what everybody else doesn't. You've got it all together. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> I, think, um, I think now, I mean, seeing my life kind of with hindsight, I can see how um, we're all given an opportunity and they're just different opportunities. And so some of us are given a more public opportunity. Um, and I just, I don't think for a season, I think I wasn't very faithful with that opportunity. I think I got caught up in it in myself uh, because there is a lot of attention to you. Um, it does definitely feed any sort of narcissism that you might have because you've got people lining up for your autograph, paying to hear you see or, you know, to see you or to hear you speak or sing. And so there is a lot of, there's a lot of uh, moving parts in your life that kind of feed this monster and you don't realize it until um, everything's kind of falling apart. And so here I was, um, we were married 11 years. We had a three and a five and a seven-year-old, almost seven-year-old at the time. It was Christmas time of 2011. And we'd spent about six weeks in a really, really, really exceptionally dark place um, to the point where I remember walking the hallways of my home and praying through the halls of the house of just, there's evil here, and um, I don't know how it got in, but it's here, and um, it needs to leave. And two days after Christmas, my husband left, and um, I instantaneously became the single mother of three children in an oversized house that I didn't really need in the first place. And um, all those skeletons that you kind of sometimes don't even realize you have that are kind of off to this you know, side out, out of everyone's clear vision, um, they all came tumbling out. They just kind of fell, all fell out together. And we didn't have our finances together. We had a home too large that we didn't need in the first place that the bank was now taking away. And the money was gone and the husband had left. And um, his health was failing. My health was not um, in, a, in, a, in, in, a, in the place that it is now. But it was one of those moments where even my health was kind of the worst it had ever been. Um, and my physician had called. They were concerned that I had breast cancer in my left side. And um, and my husband's now living at his parents. And the bank is calling me because I'm the one living in the house. And, um, and my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer. My husband was diabetic. And it was um, one of those moments where, although his diabetes was worse than it had ever been, our disconnect being so painful and so dark that I remember wishing he would just die because it would be easier to tell our children that he got sick and he died than to say he doesn't want us. And, um, and so I just, it was the darkest of times. And I remember imagining anything worse, um, outside of something happening to one of my children, I could not imagine anything worse. Um, I remember wishing that I was dead. I'm just thinking I wouldn't have to endure this, but at the same time, I love my kids and I don't, and I want to be away from them. And so our children were a huge driving source um, of rationale. Like when my mind would just go to a place it didn't need to, there would be a voice that would say, Mommy, I'm hungry for lunch. And it would just kind of bring me back into reality of, hold on, hold on, hold on. And so um, we were separated for about six months of not living in the same you know, house or same room. And then we sort of married 
dated, if you will, for about a year, and then we remarried each other. And so that process was about 18 months. But, the, you know, I sort of fast-forwarded to the best part. But um, in that season of darkness, um, he went to church with my now tour manager, but it was just, it's been one of his best friends for 20 years, who's in my, is my tour manager. And um, he and I separated on a Tuesday, and he invited him to church with him on Sunday because he didn't want to go to church with me because we were separated. And he actually didn't want to go to church at all, to be honest. And, um, and, and my tour manager, Ricky was like, well, you don't have an option. I'm going to throw you over my back and take you if I have to. And so this is the same, this is the same guy that when I called him on Wednesday morning after us separating late on a Tuesday night, I called him about five in the morning and I, I told him what had happened and I heard this horrible sound and then his wife grabbed the phone and she said, uh, Tiff, Ricky's vomiting. What did you just tell him? And she now says in that moment, she thought that I had called early in the morning to tell them that Jeremy had been killed based on the response of her husband and then grabbing the phone and hearing that it was me and it being so early in the morning. And, um, and I said, well, what was that sound? And she said, you know, Ricky's vomiting. And I told her, you know, Jeremy's left me. We're separated and it looks like we're getting a divorce. And I, and I remember feeling rich in that moment that I had friends that would love me enough to get sick, like physically sick at the thought even just the thought, much less the reality, of us walking away from who God created us to be. And that was husband and wife. And so um, that's the guy that took him to church on Sunday. And so um, that Sunday came, and the pastor, obviously I didn't know this until later, but the pastor, who my husband did not know, um, welcomed everyone to the church. And he said, welcome this morning um, to Cross Point is the name of the church. And he said, um, my name's Pete Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here. And he said, and if you're new this morning... Um, everyone is welcome here and no one is perfect and anything's possible. That's our motto. And if that's you, I just want you to know it's okay to not be okay if that's you this morning. And so my husband heard those words and it was weeks before he told me that when he heard those words, he felt like it was the first time in years that he'd really heard God speak to him, that he felt like God was talking directly to him. And he said, I'm definitely not okay. And somebody just gave me permission to not be okay. And he said that he had felt like he was almost kind of in a straitjacket for a while, spiritually and emotionally and romantically and, and physically and about in every other way. And he said he felt like some of that was coming off that morning. And he said, I don't, I don't know that you and I are going to work out. He said, but I just know that for the first time in my life, I feel permission to not have it all together. And I'm in a safe place. This church is a safe place for me to be. And, um, and I remember having this tremendous amount, although desp just completely devastated, this tremendous amount of hope that morning because I felt like if he could hear God speak to him, that means he might be listening. And if he's listening and God's speaking, if he'll obey whatever God says, I felt really confident that God was not going to tell him to leave me, to stay away from his family. And, and so it was really hard watching that and it taking what felt like forever um, but at the same time that God was doing something in his life, God was changing me because I think even though he's the one that left, it was sort of easy for someone outside looking in to be like, oh my goodness, Jeremy Lee is such a jerk. He left his wife. Um, but Jeremy Lee had been living with somebody for 11 years that was really impossible to be married to. I did not realize how incredibly self-absorbed I was. 
And I did not realize that I was depressed. And I did not realize that my anxiety um, that I'd had since I was a teenager um, was reshaping some of the things that in my mind were one way, but in reality they were another. And so the way I was parenting, the way I was being a wife, the way I was being a woman, the way I was being an artist, a friend, a daughter, a sister, it was impacting all of those relationships. And so I was discovering through our separation, there were a lot of people in my life walking on eggshells around me, a lot of people not feeling they could be honest with me, and a lot of people seeing it, but loving us despite it. And um, I didn't want to be that way anymore. So whether we stayed married or not, um, man, I, I didn't want to be that girl anymore. I definitely did not want to be that Christian or that mother, um, much less that artist or wife. And so um, I think I I immediately started at a very personal level of assuming we divorced. I'm going to carry whoever I am into my next marriage if I don't work on myself now. And um, I'm going to see some of these same patterns in the same trouble if I don't get some healing and some help. And so um, I was this all-natural, you know, anti-medicine, you know, only goes to the chiropractor and uses oils and vitamins. And, you know, and I do believe that those are important. I do believe that those things help and work and, you know, vitamins and exercise and diet and, and, you know, you name it. There's a lot of holistic, homeopathic, organic, you know, whatever word you want to use. There's a lot of, you know, important things out there to be doing. But, um, in that moment I needed medicine and I was so anti that, but I was so desperate that I, um, went to the doctor, told him the situation. And I said, I don't know if this is onset depression or if I am just now finally seeing that I struggle with something. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans. Each week, we talk about the curious things that people do. This show is for you when you're in the mood for unscripted, lighthearted conversation, personal stories, and just a smattering of psychology and information you can use. I promise we will make your day pass a little faster and put a smile on your face. Sometimes silly, sometimes serious, but always fun. Please join us, because no matter who you are, we all smell like humans. Please follow the link in the show notes. But um, I need I need help. And uh, he gave me medicine, and it helped. Um, and the biggest thing that I noticed was that I was a lot more rational. Um Moments where my reaction would be kind of a 10 became a 2. And I became a lot more approachable and a lot more rational. And so I think we were able to have better conversation. And and there was a lot lot more productivity was happening because I was was mentally and emotionally a different person that you were dealing with. And so um, I struggled for a while after even seeing that change in myself. I struggled for a while with a lot of regret of how many years have I been that person and how many people have I hurt? How many people do I need to go back and tell them I'm sorry? And, um, and I will say the number one thing that God used in that season, um, even though he used a new church in my husband's life and he was using medicine in mine, um, that we were going to counseling really, you know, religiously and, 
three and four times a week during this this period of time. And now I still go every four to six weeks. I still sit down and talk with her. Um, and I remember, you know, at some point in my life, I thought crazy people saw counselors, but I realize now <laughs> it's it's the crazy people that don't see counselors because uh, we all need mental health. You know, we spend so much time on our physical health or our spiritual health, but we don't really address mental health. I think sometimes we assume mental health means that you're sick or you're crazy or that you're bad and broken. And I think it's, it's, it's no different than a general doctor for your heart um, and, and seeing someone that can help you with your mind. And, um, and so anyway, we, um, we began addressing that and I had struggled with anxiety since I was 13 and um, didn't realize how that was kind of impacting a lot of, of the depression in and of itself, that it, there was a lot of fear it kind of gave birth to a lot of, well, certainly a lack of faith in some things, but also um, was contributing towards my behavior as well. And um, and so we just, I started working on me, and um, in the process of doing so, God was using the changes that I was making and that He was making in me as well to influence my husband. And I didn't know that, but I, I um obviously able to see it now, but God was really working on him. And so little by little by little, um, there was a night when he wanted to have pizza with me and the kids. And I thought it was just to see the kids. And I'd kind of developed a bit of a tough outer um, protective coating. I, I didn't want to be that single mom that needed her ex-husband. And um, and so I, I told him he could meet us, but I told him where and I told him when and kind of on our terms. And he met us and... Um, I walk in. He's ordered everyone's food, and which was fine because it was a, it was a pizza by the slice kind of place. And and I love root beer, and he had ordered me a root beer. And I remember feeling very resentful about that because I felt like if you don't want me and you're leaving me, why are you you know why are you ordering me my favorite drink because you know? And I didn't want him to know that anymore. I didn't want him to know those little details about myself. And so I remember calling the server over and ordering a diet Dr Pepper, of which I'd never ordered before in my life and uh, and so I remember kind of hearing Jeremy under his breath say like diet Dr. Pepper what and I was like you don't know me and he did know me but I just I just didn't want him to and um and so I, I you know stomached the diet Dr. Pepper but I remember looking in his eyes on accident I'd kind of avoided looking in his eyes because I saw a stranger and because I'd been so intimate and that was the person I was the closest to because he was such a stranger and 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 was so distant and disconnected, seeing him in the eyes, like really connecting with him in the eyes made me almost afraid. And I felt lonely and I felt fearful kind of all at once. And so I kind of avoided looking in his face. I also felt, I felt hopeless when I would look in his eyes because I would just see someone that was not who he was anymore. And that made me feel like there was less hope. And um, I accidentally looked into his eyes when I looked up from my diet, Dr. Pepper. And, um, I blurted it. I mean, it just came out of my mouth. I just said, it's you. And his face filled with tears. And he was like, it's me. And I said, where have you been? And he said, in a really dark place. And I sent you an email. And so I want you to read that when you get home. But right now, can we just, can we just have some pizza with the kids? And so we made it through that meal and I raced home and opened the email and the email began to kind of unfold everything. He began to tell me everything, everything he had done wrong um, the sin in his life, why he thinks that he left, why he thinks we're disconnected, why he thinks he doesn't love me anymore. 
And it was hurtful. It was hard. It was a very, very painful email to read. It was not, hey, I'm sorry. Um, but towards the end of it, he was like, I know this separation is probably not right. But I don't feel like being married to you and I don't feel in love with you. He said, but if it's true that making the choice to love you and choosing you, if that's truly right, then I'm going to trust that God, uh, because God, he explained how God was kind of dealing with him. And he said, I, I actually doubted his existence for a while. I said, but I do believe he's real. And I do believe that he loves me. And I do believe that he's forgiven me for some of the things that I, or all the things that I've done. But he was more specific to some more recent things he had done. And, um, and he said, and I believe that it's probably wrong that I'm leaving you. So I'm going to choose you, even though I don't want to. And I know that's not very romantic, and I know that's hurtful. He said, but I'm not going to lie to you anymore. I'd rather be brutally honest with you than to lie to you. And he said, so the truth is I don't feel like it, but I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to trust that God will honor that, and maybe feelings will come back. And it was really painful as a woman especially to read that because you, you want to feel protected and provided and loved and um, being, you know, you want to, you want your husband to be attracted to you and, and here you're feeling all of the opposite, like, okay, you've left and you don't feel it. And, and anyway, all that to say, I could not get to the phone quick enough because the very, very tail end of the email, it just said, if there's any hope, just call me. And so I called him and I answered, he answered and I'll never forget saying, Jeremy Lee, there is always hope. And I just began to sob and I was like, I don't know if we'll stay together. But there's hope here, like the fact that you're willing to choose me. And um, and he said, you know, I, I know it's not very romantic. And I said, I, it's okay. And for someone listening to this right now that might relate to that, somehow God was able to help me see that when he said that, it wasn't that he wasn't attracted to me. Although he did not feel attracted to me, he didn't feel like loving me. In that moment, I was able to see that evil had climbed into my husband's heart and mind and soul and kind of taken over as if he was a puppet of that darkness. And I was able to kind of see that that was not my husband. That's not my husband saying that. That's that's the evil within him. And so I was kind of able to sort of um, filter what was really Jeremy Lee and what was evil. And um, and I, I I was able to kind of ex- not excuse but but kind of ignore some of the statements that he would make that were more hurtful to me because I would realize, you know what, maybe one day, maybe one day he's going to look back and say, I can't believe I said that. That's not who I am. Because the man that I fell in love with and that I had chosen a life with for 11 years and, you know, made three babies with, like I knew this guy loves me and he's being deceived. And, and I guess my, my most hopeless place is when I felt like he was going to stay deceived um, but in that moment, I felt like maybe there's hope here that he's not going to feel that way. And so um, fast forward, we began hanging around each other instead of having, um, you know, total isolation from each other. We began to be around each other. And then a, a few months would go by. And instead of him having his nights with the kids and my nights with the kids, we would have our times together. Um, and then, you know, a little step further he, you know, six months in, he's now moved into the guest room. So we're spending all of our time together as a family, but we're just not being intimate in any way. And then one night we hold hands 
and then sometime later we kissed and then it just began to it became sort of like married dating and um then there was a moment where he just broke and um i remember like this the snotty dripping out of your nose tears streaming down your face moment of just complete brokenness and him saying i love you and i'm not saying that just to make you feel better like it's it's back like i really love my wife and i'm really 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 sorry for what i've done and it just being equally emotional for me because i was you know in that period of time i had seen all the things i needed to own as well and i was like i know that you did this and this and from the outside looking in that looks worse but i've been equally responsible for being someone that was not i was your nag i was your mom i wasn't your best friend i wasn't your cheerleader i wasn't your comrade you know i was not this person that was you know your teammate I was I was your opposition when he walked in the door. I was the enemy. And um and I've been really selfish and I struggle with things that I, you know, would uh would lie to myself about and and I'm owning those things. And so I think in our owning our stuff and God working on each of us individually, he began to draw us back to each other and so we sort of, you know, all those milestones of saying I love you and him giving me my rings back because at one point I had given them to him and said, I'm not going to throw these at you in the middle of the driveway. I'm just going to hand them back and tell you that if you ever want me to wear them again, you're going to have to ask. And so I remember it was um, almost a year had went by from us separating and he handed them to me one night at dinner and he said, I I really want you to wear these again. And, you know, fast forward, um, it was one year to the to the night that we had held hands and so we were kind of going out on a special date to celebrate that and um he had actually planned a surprise rogue wedding and we remarried each other with that our pastors um and that became the church that i mentioned earlier that became our home church now and that's where we live and serve and and love and grow together and all of the people that supported us um, were in attendance and there was wedding dresses hanging from trees and I had to choose one. And then all my girlfriends, you know, stood up and made a kind of a impromptu tent with sheets and I changed right there in the park. And, um, and we just remarried each other all over again. And um, our children were there present and they walked us down the aisle. And, and a couple of points that I want to make is that through all of this, there are some major details in our story that our children still don't know, um, details that I'm leaving out in this podcast just because they're shameful. And I think they almost celebrate what evil was able to accomplish. Um, and if our children ever need to know that some of those details, I feel like those are things that they will hear from us directly when they're older and able to understand. It's not something we're trying to hide or lie, lie to them about. It's just things that I feel like God was so, so gracious to protect them from knowing that maybe it's because they didn't need to know. Maybe there was a reason that they don't know this and this and this. Um, Cause we've had quite a few people tell us it's amazing that, you know, that they didn't know some of that detail. And, um, and I was like, well, I feel like God protected them for a reason. And so I want to honor that. And if, if that's, you know, ever to be told to them, well, time will tell. But, um, 
but protecting your children. So if you're listening to this and you have kids and you're struggling in your marriage, just there's a lot of information that you don't realize is abusive to tell your kids. Um, that I, I, I think that's a strong word, but I think it needs to be said um, because I feel like there are parents that don't realize that so much of a child's identity is wrapped up in his mom and his dad or her mom and her dad. And before they have a, a growing, thriving relationship with, with God, even at that, their understanding of Him is you. And so much of their identity, so in their, in their faith and even in who they are, is in their parents. And if you're telling your child, well, your dad's a liar, or your mom is such a nag, um, there's just this little part of them that's not even conscious that wonders what part of me is the liar, what part of me is the nag. And, and you are degrading someone that they love. Like, even though your wife may have really hurt you, she hasn't necessarily really hurt your daughter. And so telling your daughter what a horrible person this person is that she loves is really damaging. And um, and it makes coming back from a really broken situation in your marriage, it makes it that much harder. Um, and it's already a hard situation, so making it harder is not helpful to anyone. And so I'm just a huge advocate of protecting the innocent. Like, your children... You know, our children obviously knew that it was peculiar that he didn't live there. But I never, ever said a negative thing about their dad the entire time. Um, well, why isn't daddy here tonight? Well, you know, he's working on a project, so he has to stay at Pops and Nana's house. Um, so let's pray for him to have a good day at work tomorrow and, and, you know, have a good night's sleep. And then, you know, I would pray as if everything was okay. And then I would go to my room and bawl my eyes out to the point where I'd burst blood vessels in my face from crying so hard, um, but not lying to them. I didn't lie. If my children ever point blank asked me, you know, a, a particular question, I would have answered it in the best way I could, but they didn't. They didn't say, you know, is daddy blah, 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 or why did, you know, it was just more of a peculiar like, oh, why isn't daddy here? And I had to just get creative with, with what is truthful. And so it was still truthful, but it was creative. And, and so just being protective of your children. And also um, huge advocate of counseling that we were in counseling from the get-go, like from the, the, big, the very first sign of, uh-oh, um, we were in counseling. And um, thirdly, and, and equally as important as those um, to me, is community. Um, too often marriages go through, even just on a day-to-day, -day, maybe you're not in a major crisis, but you're having lunch with your girlfriend this afternoon, and, you know, um, she's talking about her husband is being such a jerk, and you begin to say, yeah, he is a jerk. In that moment, you're not being a good friend. I know you're trying to be, but you're not. A good friend would say, well, let's not talk about him being a jerk. Let's talk about what you could have done differently or what, what you could work on. Or, hey, you know what, you need to talk with him about that or a counselor about that, and I'll just be praying for you, but I don't want to sit here and talk bad about your husband because that's not going to help you. And I, again, feel like a rich woman because, and that's certainly not monetarily, but just having friendships that not only got sick over the thought of us divorcing, but we had community in our life that we still have in our life that fought for us, not for me, not for him, but for us. And and when I say that, I think it, the best way to determine if someone is in your corner or, or, or if they're in the corner of your marriage, one way to, to determine that is, do you find yourself having to defend your spouse? 
um, I remember even my even my dad, my mom and dad were extremely hurt by what Jeremy had done, and and rightfully so. Um, but their response <clears throat> initially was very defensive of me, and so I remember my dad saying, "You know, you deserve better than him." And <clears throat> and I remember in that moment feeling like I had to even distance myself from my parents, who I love, who love me, who did not want to see us divorce, but they were so angry with my husband that their their knee-jerk reaction was to protect me and be on my side. And I needed them to not be on my side. I needed them to say, we are so hurt by what's happening in your marriage, but you're going to work this out with him, as opposed to saying, well, come stay with us, and if y'all divorce, you know, it was like, no, 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 that doesn't even need to be, need to be an option. And so I don't, I don't fault my parents. I mean, I, they, were, they were just kind of doing what so many of you who are listening right now would do. You just you kind of run to the aid of the person you love. But when people get married, they become one. And so you've got to love that one, that one. You've got to love that. And so that means loving them both. And I remember my best friend um, being a huge, huge advocate of that where she was so devastated by our breakup and even by some of the things that Jeremy had done, but she would not let me talk bad about him. Like she would just say, I, I know, I know that's horrible. Let's talk about you. Like, what are you doing? What are some of the things that you're working on? What are the, some of the changes you're making? What do you think are some things that were impacting and hurtful to Jeremy that you could, like, you've got to own some stuff. So let's just talk about you. And I'm going to pray for you guys, but I'm just not going to badmouth Jeremy. But when she was with Jeremy, she could say, you're being an idiot. What is wrong with you? For the same token that she could say to me, well, you are really selfish and talk too much. So, you know, let's not talk about him. Let's talk about you. And so just having community in your life that is for your marriage, not just for you. And again, protecting your children from so much of the the ricochet of what goes on and then being in counseling. Like if I could just give somebody three pieces of advice, it would be those three things. And God used those three things in addition to a number of other things to bring us back together. But he didn't just bring us back together. He made us better than before. Um, our marriage, and I dare say, is a force to be reckoned with. I kind of, um, I've, I've said more than one time, because I've seen what God was capable of, like that God did a true miracle and fought for us when we gave him the gloves and, and said, please fight for us, instead of, trying to do this ourselves and getting in your way, please do this for us. Um, because I've seen his power firsthand in a way that I had not before, I have such a tremendous trust in him and a confidence in him that I say, you know, death, where's your sting? You know, bring, bring it on. Because although you are incredibly, incredibly powerful, you are not greater than he that is in me that died for me, that conquered hell for me, that came back to life for me, that has a hope and a promise of heaven. Like I can hope because of the cross. But I think too often we try to be our own savior. And then we want to, when it doesn't work out, we want to blame God. Like, well, God isn't really that powerful because look how this turned out. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He gives us a choice. That's one of the most beautiful things he's ever given us is a choice. But we sometimes choose to get in his way. And I've had numerous people say to me when I've said that, but okay, okay, great. You get in God's way, but He's more powerful than you, so why wouldn't he just, you know, overshadow that? And there are times that he does, but but God is God, and God can do anything. But he chooses 
to give us a choice. And he doesn't force himself on us. And so there's a lot of choices that we make that the natural consequences are such that we think that he did it or that he allowed it or he caused it. And I don't believe that way. I believe that God gives us that choice and the natural consequence to a lot of that is pain. But he is present in all of it. He never leaves for one second. He provide because of the cross, because of what he did by conquering hell and coming back to life, I think, not to make light of our pain, but I think God can look back and say, I can use this. I can do anything, and I can redeem it. I can restore it. I can make it better than before. I can use this for the kingdom of God that is eternal, and the life that you're living is such a blink. God just doesn't freak out. He just doesn't freak out because He knows what good can come from this. And so I think when we're freaking out, He's just not. He's not surprised at all by the pain and the hurt. And um, at the same time, I, I did remember praying specifically with the word intervene, like, please intervene, please intervene. And I, I think God wants to, but he wants us to want him to. That's the that's the little twist there. He wants us to want him to. And, um, and I, I got to a place where instead of me doing it, because it kept falling apart, I wanted him to do it. And so taking your hands off of it yourself is, I would say, hands down, the hardest part of our story was me actually learning to trust him and take my hands off and quit getting in his way. And then being willing to do it, whatever, like whatever he asked. And a lot of said, shh, just quit talking. Just listen to me and um, calm down, you know, just slow down here, put the brakes on. And Thanks to him, we did. And um, we have a new story to tell, like a totally different story than we would have told five years ago. And um, God's using it. And so that's probably the most important thing I've ever been a part of in my life. And I've been telling my children, even lately, that no matter how much money you have or whatever job you get or things that you accumulate or you know, the life that you live, like the, the single most important thing you'll ever do besides giving your life to him is being you, that life being used by him. And I just feel so content and so happy and so joyful and so peaceful, even amongst some of the chaos in my life still, because God's using me and I just trust him. So if the master of trust is, is got me and he's using me, I don't really need to fear. And so, um, I will touch back one second too on the depression that, you know, I, I initially used to think, you know, that people that would took, took medicine, it was a lack of fear, or I'm sorry, lack of faith. And, um, and I don't believe that way now. I believe that there are people that, that need medicine and that, and then that's okay. That's okay. But in this process, um, God's done a lot of healing in my life. And, um, it's been just recently, like just recently that I've kind of tried I, I tried kind of weaning myself away from some of that to see what it was like and I have developed some new habits like that taking the medicine kind of allowed me to develop some new habits and um and I may need to take it again but I've, I've currently come off of that um and my husband had even said um probably a month or so ago um he said I can really tell you're taking your medicine you know you just and I said, you know what? I actually haven't. And he was like, what? 
And he kind of looked at me funny. He was like, are you serious? And I said, well, I didn't want to say anything. I said, I kind of wanted to see if, if you would be like, man, you need to take your meds or if, if nothing, or even better yet, you'd give me a compliment. And, and he was like, wow, I, I was sure that you were, you were taking them for sure. And I said, well, I, I feel like God has used that to, to kind of, it almost gave me and my mentally and emotionally a break. It just, I I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get it together. And it kind of gave me this break. And so for, you know, three or four years now I've taken that and, and I said, but I feel like I developed some new habits and I, and as I kind of weaned myself away, I could almost tell when I was going that direction or not. And I said, so I'm not opposed to taking it again. And I may need it. I may need it next week. Um, but I, I've currently seen how God has kind of used that to help me develop some new patterns and some new behaviors. And when I kind of start to see, and one thing I noticed in that whole season is that my love language, I used to think it was quality time. And I've really discovered that my love language is words of affirmation. And affirmation is not a compliment. It's not really just a compliment. Like, affirmation of like the assurance like having whether it's from my husband or someone in my life saying hey I'm really you're doing good work I think this is important and you did a good job at that Um, really feeling that sense of true permission to kind of give myself to something whether it's in my music um, or with my family or with my children like man you're really your children are doing really well in this particular area, what you, what you're doing with them must be working like little things like that, um, have been also a a tremendous help to me to recognize voice that to the people closest to me. That's like, Hey, if I'm, if I'm doing, if I'm doing well, it matters to me to hear from you. Not that I don't appreciate a fan saying, Hey, good job. You had a great concert. I love your music. Um, but I hear that so much that it's almost more important that I hear from the people I care about the most. Um, in a different way. And, uh, and that was, that's something I've noticed about myself that when I don't have that, that almost kind of uh, assists in a, an, um, an emotional response that's very unhealthy for me. And so just trying to find that balance of like what's, what's needing that too much and what's, what's getting a healthy amount. And I think everyone has a love language. Everybody listening right now, you, either it's gifts or it's words of affirmation, or it's acts of service, or it's physical touch, or it's quality time. Like something is the is kind of the, you might love all of that, most of us do, but like one of those kind of is your over the top that really just, and I, and I, I discovered that I, I thought mine was one and it's actually something else. And so being able to even recognize that. Um, so once again, still an advocate of medicine when needed, but the medicine actually really helped me develop a new um, kind of new behavior, a new pattern and kind of recognizing, man, I used to react this way because I remember it, but right now I'm not reacting like that. And then kind of learning from that to, okay, a week from now or a month from now, when this kind of thing happens again, remember this. And so, um, so I'm currently, and I've not even told anyone but you this, but, um, you know, I'm currently that's new for me. It's, it's a very new thing for me to be kind of trying just a different, um, a different approach to that. But I don't, I'm certainly not anti like I used to be, but, um, and I don't want someone to get the, also get the wrong impression that, you know, I've been healed from that. So I'll never take it again. But I, 
but I'm, I'm currently like, I feel like I've found some healing there and I, I'm not currently needing that like I was, but I may need it again. And so if it's you that needs it, take it. If you need it, take it. It is not worth, it's not worth the damage that you can do that's irreversible emotionally to your family, um, which is what I was doing. I was, I have been hurtful to my family and there's some of that I can't go back and fix. Um, but because God's redemptive and he's forgiving, I'm trusting that he's taken all the mistakes that I've made and he's, he's going to do something beautiful or even has done something beautiful with it. And I've even kind of isolated it to even a moment with my son, um, just really kind of going off on him and him probably never, ever, he's probably never going to forget, you know, that particular occasion. And then feeling that regret, but then God kind of coming in and saying, hold on, I can use that. I can use that because maybe he's going to see healing in me, or maybe he's going to learn to not do that himself, or maybe like God's going to use that. So I don't have to sit here and wallow in regret of the mistakes I've made, but I have definitely made them. I do not have it together. And as soon as we even end this interview, I've got, uh, I had a party at my house on Saturday and everything that was messy, I shoved in my closet and so I have a closet that looks like a bomb went off in it. And so you could walk in my house right now and go, oh, yeah, she really does have it together because her living room is just so cleaned up. But if you just take about 10 more steps, you see that my closet is evidence of, of the real me. I just I don't have it together. But, you know, when people say, um, I mean, it gets said to me often, so I, I'm assuming it's, it's, it's said to others that, um, you know, how do you balance being wife and being mom and being, you know, artist or for whoever's listening, you know, fill in the, fill in the name for whatever you are. Um, how do you balance all of that? And my answer is always the same. It's that I don't, I try. And so that's all you can do today is just try, try your best. And, um, that's what we're all doing. So God honors it. <laughs> wow. That was incredible, uh, Plum. I really appreciate you opening the, the door of your closet, so to speak. Literally, yeah, literally. <laughs> Which is a great analogy, by the way, of we think people have it all together because on the outside, it all looks clean. But what people don't realize, everybody has a closet. Everybody and, has a closet. And, and we tend to, it's exactly right, when people come over to visit, we don't have time to clean it thoroughly. We're going to get everything and throw it in the closet. That's kind of what I did when I was a teenager, when my parents said, clean your room. Yeah. So I would get everything and just kind of throw it in my closet and shut the door. And there, it's clean. Uh, but on the outside, it may look clean. But we know, you and I know, and the people who are listening to this episode knows that it's not clean. And we are messy. And we do have brokenness in our past and a lot of people have regret and a lot of shame that's tied into that. But I'm hearing you say plum that despite of all that hurt and pain and the shame and regret that there's still hope and there is still redemption that Christ can bring no matter how bad your marriage may be or how depressed or anxious you might feel God is with you through that hurt and that pain. And, and I'm reminded of uh, the verse in Peter 
It says to cast all of your anxiety on him. But it doesn't stop there. It says because he cares for you. It doesn't say he'll take it away. That's right. That's our prayer. God, take this away. I don't like it. Right. But he may not take it away because he has a story, a journey for you to go on. But here's the guarantee that he will never leave you or forsake you. And he will care for you in the midst of your hurt and in the midst of your pain. And you have just shared your story of your hurt and your pain and how you are not only you're able to go on stage and to share your story through your music. Cause I know you write a lot of your music as yeah. well. And uh, I'll have to say one of my favorites is need you now. Oh, thanks. And because I think that there's a lot of truth, a lot of personal hurt and pain that came out of that. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I love some of the older hymns, because a lot of the older hymns mm-hmm. are come from hurt and pain. And that's what all of us, no matter if we're in America or somewhere around the world, we all can relate. We all have that commonality that we all hurt and we all need a savior, whether you're a Christian or not, we need a savior, right? So we all, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear that God is, he's not distant and he does care about you and he wants to help you. And I love you, you, you mentioned it earlier about, uh, community and getting care and, being committed uh, to your relationship. And you were talking specifically about your marriage and you were committed to it. You may not, the feelings may not have been there at the moment, but you were committed to it. And and then you talked about getting care and going to a counselor and, and getting the help that you needed. And then you talked about community, the importance of, of community of people, your friends who surround you to tell you the truth, but to love you and to support both of you and your husband in the midst of this. And I think that is a great lesson. And that's something I think so many marriages, I I know I talk to a lot of marriages that come couples that come to see me in my office and they are in the brink of divorce. And, um, you know, they, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. And so I hear them tell their story and, and sometimes they have a hard time getting past that hurt and pain. And it's, you know, it, it's, it is a process that people will go through, but I want to encourage the couples that come see me and couples who are struggling right now, who are listening to this, that your marriage is worth fighting for. And, and really try not to fight each other, but to fight for your marriage. And that takes a lot of commitment and it takes a lot of, you know, just, a, just a lot of courage. Well, I remember too, in the midst of the darkest place in our story, now fast forward, being able to share it have a better marriage than we've ever had on top of that. And the legacy that we are giving to our children 
and then just the hope that God is is using our story to, to give kind of oxygen to a very hopeless situation elsewhere in, in other stories. I would go through this all over again to, to know God the way that I know him now, to be used by him the way that he's using us. I would go through it again. And so if nothing else, I want God to be able to use my story in any way that he can. But if, if, but if nothing else for someone who is in the middle of that, to be like, why? What is the point? Um, that maybe you'll think of me. Maybe you'll think of how our feelings for each other didn't just return. They came back in, you know, torrential. I mean, they just, they just, um, God really honored our efforts to do what was good and pure and true and lovely. And that is a promise he makes. He, he makes that promise and he keeps his promises. And so if you can trust him with his promises, it's a matter of you getting out of the way and being patient. And that is really hard. I realize that because I've been there. It is really, really hard to trust something you can't see or touch and to be patient, not knowing exactly what it's going to look like. But if I can tell you today that if you trust him and you take your hands off and you really, truly trust him, it will turn out exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or even imagine. That's a promise. And um, when, when it's not, when it's seemingly not, you're getting in the way. You're getting in the way. And I think we're really prideful and we don't want to look in the mirror and say, I'm getting in the way. I'm part of the problem. I need to change. Um, there's some things I need to do differently. We don't want to do that. But um, when I finally did... And I, I was just like anyone else. I didn't want to do that. But when I finally did, because I, I couldn't think of anything else to do that would work, God honored it. I literally almost just watched it like a, I mean, not to dumb it down, but you know those little chia pet plants that, you know, they have the commercial. And it's like they practically grow before your eyes. It's like I began to just, just to grow leaps and bounds in my walk with Jesus and in my marriage and the way that I parent, just my whole life began to change in every aspect. And it was like, wait a minute, it's not because of me. It's, it's not. It's because of God, Christ in me, changing me, giving me the courage to make this change or make, giving me the courage to apologize for that or giving me the intuition about, like, God just, he made himself known He's not hiding behind a tree somewhere. He is as close as your breath. But it's us that's kind of running from him or to something else. And I think sometimes we are, are, are doing, we're moving in a direction. Like whether you're being intentional about it or not, you're moving in a direction. Um, and I did decide that we did that long enough that we drifted in a place that we didn't mean to go. But you're moving whether you want to or not. And so the more intentional you can be about being in this direction, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes time to do that. Um, <clears throat> but when I, when we came to a place where we were more intentional and we were doing that, just to see God at work, I mean, it, it just all those cares and all those concerns and all those fears and all that anxiety, there's so much of that started to melt away because of, of our confidence in him. 
And uh, my, my favorite Bible verse during all of that was James 1.19, was, which is, be slow to speak and quick to listen, which is God's, you know, gentlemanly way of saying, shut up, just listen to me. And when, when I really listened, he told me to be quiet, he told me to be still, he told me to move slowly. And so many people rush into divorce and they rush into saying this and they rush into doing that because they're just being reactive and emotional and, um, you know, we're human and God can still, after all of that, he can still, you know, he can still redeem. And, and I guess it's just hard for me when I see marriages now that walk away from each other when there's so much potential and beauty there. But I will tell you this, if you're in a marriage crisis and you're listening right now, whatever role you're playing in the, in the crisis, I have yet to meet, and I have met a lot, I have yet to meet one divorced couple, and obviously by meeting them, I'm meeting one or the other. I've yet to meet a person who has been divorced that does not say, I wish I had, and, and again, I'm referring to the divorced person that, that didn't try, that didn't really choose to forgive or choose to change or choose to work on things or really go to counseling and work through it and take the time and the energy. Um, you know, maybe, maybe one of them cheated on the other and they just called it quits and like, that's done. I'm justified. Peace out, whatever. Or, you know, this person stole or their addiction was that or the other. Um, but like being honest with themselves, like they, they didn't really put the time and the effort into trying to truly work it out. I have yet to meet one that does not say, I wonder every day what it would have been like if we had fought. And I live next door to somebody who um, is 80 years old, who st told me the most beautiful story of just her life and how God's redeemed her stories. But she and her husband divorced many, 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 many years ago um, because of unfaithfulness. And she said in that, in that time in, in her life and in that generation, maybe even, she said it was a matter of, oh, well, if you've done that, then we get a divorce. Like, that's what we do. Like, you did that, so let's go get a divorce. And she said, there's not a day that's gone by that I've not wondered what, how different would our life have looked like if I had chosen forgiveness. And he's, he's passed away. He doesn't even exist anymore. But, you know, she's 80 years old. And God's redeemed her life, and he's used it, and she's a spectacular human being. And, but at the same time, she would tell you, she would love to not wonder what that would have been like. She would love to be living it out, saying, this is what it would have been like because I chose forgiveness, I chose to work it out, and I'm with the person that I have such history with. And so, um, I don't know. And we, we had some close friends the other day take their son to uh, his first day of college. And they, uh, 10 years ago, they were separated. They were getting a divorce. But they ended up working it out. And they posted on Facebook about how they were driving away from the college, bawling their eyes out. And just, you know, all the memories and just, you know, thinking about one day he'll go to college. But, you know, right now he's only six weeks old or now he's only six years old or he's only 16. It's not happened yet. Well, okay, he's 18. Now he's at college. And my husband and I were talking with him over a meal about it, just about letting go and letting your firstborn go. And because we're, you know, quite a ways away from that, but it'll be here before you know it. And my husband interrupted their story and he said, just think if you had not worked this out. Today you would have been telling that story 
in such a different way. You would have, one of you would have taken him or maybe you would have both been there, but you would have driven off in separate cars, maybe with different spouses that didn't even really know your son. And you get to share in this together today. You get to relish all the memories of raising him, just the two of you, today. Like you get to just really saturate yourself in all of that and share in it together. And he said, these are the things that people that when they're wanting to divorce, they're not thinking about. They're not really giving any consideration to the memories that they're walking away from and the opportunity that they're walking away from. And, And just the history. I mean, there's even people without children. There's a lot of history in your dating and when you got married and your honeymoon and the first time you did this. And then remember that one time you had this happen and this and that and the other. There's all these really significant things in that restaurant and that city and that hotel and that old car and blah, blah, blah. Like you've got all that and then you throw it away and then you start with someone new and the grass may be greener, but it's got weeds of its own. So just be prepared that there, there's going to there's gonna be trouble there too. I'd kind of rather go through it with somebody that I've already built a history with and who I know, I know what his weeds already look like. And, and furthermore, my kids look like him. They don't look like some other guy down the road that I might start a life with. Like, I, I know for the rest of my life, I would be looking at Jeremy Lee because my middle child looks like his twin. It's like, you know, and you're, we, we were going to have birthdays and Christmas holidays and graduations and weddings. Like you're in a relate, if you have children, especially, um, you're in a relationship with each, each other for the rest of your life, whether you want to be or not. So you might as well work it out because you're going to be together anyway, in some fashion. And, and there's just so there's just so many reasons to work it out that are so beautiful and positive and pure and strong and good. And there's just way more reasons uh, that our culture tells you to not. You know, they want to talk about the lust and the chase and the chance for new love. And, you know, you have to be married for five minutes to know that those butterflies and those giddy, the giddiness and the having sex every single day, five times a day and all that's you know, that doesn't last very long. That's not real. You know, that's that's part of the honeymoon stage. It fades and it doesn't mean your love has to, but that's not real. And I think a lot of people walk away from marriage for the hope of that being like a Hollywood movie 24 seven for the rest of their life. And that isn't real. And um, it was Mr. Rogers um, who I, I, I saw where he was given an award before he passed away Um and he was speaking about people in the public eye, whether you're in film or television or radio, um, being such a, being being a positive contribution to culture, and how you really can impact the future. And he was just he was saying so many lovely things. And he said, you know, there was a 13 year old that abducted an eight year old at some point in the news. And when they interviewed the 13 year old, it's because he learned, you know, some of the details of how to do something like that in a in a movie. And Mr. Rogers was saying, let it, you know, let it be known that I wanted to contribute towards peace and relationships and kindness. And I wanted to, to give back and, and fill this world with, with opportunity for, for the opposite of evil. And so I guess in a way, that's what I'm wanting to do is just to, and all the stories and all the movies and all the songs that you hear about you know, kick him to the curb and start over and lust and the chase and the mystery and the romance. Um, there is a tremendous amount of romance in the familiar and I will fight for that till I'm dead. And there is always hope and I will be saying that as well till I'm no longer breathing. 
<laughs> well, that's, that, what an incredible uh, encouragement that you have given about your testimony and how you are advocating you've got to fight for your marriage. And Plum, before I, I let you go and I want to talk about your book, but I'm curious, do you have a word of encouragement to maybe somebody who is going through a divorce and one of the spouses, they don't want the divorce, but the other one does. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, I'm glad you asked that. Um, I remember specifically asking my pastor uh, about that saying like, I, I don't, I don't want this. And I think this is wrong. And what if this happens? Like, if this is not God's will, how could it happen? And he said, marriage is one of the few places, one of the only places where it takes two people being willing to do what God asks for it to work out. So no matter how committed and how um, willing one may be, the other one has to be. So in my story, um, I would like to be clear that Jeremy came to a place where he was willing as well. If he had not been, we would be divorced. I would be having the same interview, I hope, that would have a little bit of a different slant of how God has used my divorce to, to change me to be more like the person he created me to be. And he's using me to, to go in and encourage others who are maybe single parents. Um, I believe God would have still redeemed my life. My, my life would have still been redeemed. So if you have already divorced or if it ends in a divorce, that doesn't mean all hope is lost. There is always hope in every scenario. I just am an advocate for if you are married or in a marriage crisis to give it your best foot forward in the event that you've already divorced or, again, that one spouse decides not to fight for it. God is still redemptive and can use your story. And so I think that's why I'm so committed to telling the part about how although my husband left me, there was a lot of stuff I had to work on myself um, that I was going to take into the next marriage or the next marriage or the next. So no matter what, no matter whether we stayed married or not, I was not being who he died for me to be, who he created for me to be. And it was in our separation that he got my attention. Some people, God, you know, gets their attention in another way, but it was, it was in that season that he got mine. And so the more I became committed to being who he died for me to be, the more content I became and the more in love with him I became. And so my relationship with Christ became enough. I didn't need Jeremy Lee the way that I did. And so fortunately, Jeremy was doing the same thing in his own way, and God brought us back together and is using that. But um, you can still be faithful to your story, and God can still use that and do something tremendously beautiful, and you will have that same peace, that same contentment, that same joy. You will have that because it's, it's completely rooted and grounded in your Savior. And so I, I think one thing I did discover in being separated from him is that I had idolized my husband in my marriage. Like he was everything to me and I loved him more than Jesus and I didn't realize it. And it is not that way anymore. Um, and I would say that if he was sitting right here, he knows it. I mean, Jesus is the one that continued to protect and to provide and to love and to never leave. And will always like Jesus will never, ever do what Jeremy did. And so I am so attracted to that, that although I still am attracted to Jeremy Lee and I love him, I love the God who met me in that place and never 
had never left and will never leave. Um, and so I think if you can find yourself seeking that relationship, God will do the rest. And, um, and you, you, can, you can hold your head up high. Be willing to do whatever he asks. Be willing to look at yourself and your children, if you have any, with the confidence that I did everything God asked of me. And if your spouse did not, that is theirs to own, not yours. And so I didn't have to, you know, certainly didn't have to own what Jeremy was deciding. But, um, you know, just plainly speaking, I just really wanted it to work out. And I realized with everyone it doesn't. Um, But I think if you can find yourself in the same content, flourishing relationship with Jesus that I found myself in, um, he'll tell you what to do. You'll know what to do. And you will have a peace. You will have a contentment. You'll have all of that. That you're like, you know what? This isn't mine to own. And, and you know, maybe God sends someone else into your life. Maybe five years later, your spouse kind of change, has a change of heart. Um, please leave room for that window. Please. I mean, I don't know how many couples I've met that have said, we, we full-on divorced. And it was blah, blah, blah years later that we actually ended up dating and remarrying each other. And I just think people get hasty. They don't calm down. They're reactive. And they immediately divorce. And then they immediately go find somebody else. And it's like, man, you just, you know, God can still redeem that. But you just kind of robbed yourself of the opportunity of seeing something extraordinary that God could do. And you'll never know what it was. And um, so, you know, if you if you cannot do that, don't don't be hasty. But even if you are, even in that, God can use it. God can do something beautiful even with that. There is always hope. There is an ocean overflowing with grace. And so at the end of the day, don't freak out. That would be my my closing statement. (laughs) I love it. Don't freak out. God's got it under control. That is so good. So good. What a great reminder. Plum, you have been so gracious to spend some time with me and, and to talk to my audience. And I just can't thank you enough for you to really share and be open and vulnerable because I think that's such a great example uh, for people that not to be ashamed of their own brokenness and to share their story with somebody else and to encourage them. You know, it's kind of like a, a, a pay it forward. You know, right. we, we go through struggle and it may not be a marriage struggle. It might be something else like depression or anxiety or some other struggle So whatever your story is of brokenness and hurt and pain, you can share that to encourage other people. And that's my encouragement for anyone who's listening to this. Really, the the main reason why I started my podcast is because I want to put a spotlight on stories, your story, my story. People need to hear it and realize that none of us are perfect and we all have a journey And we all have something to learn and we all have something to learn from one another. And that's what's so cool about you coming on and sharing your story. Now, before I let you go, I do want to mention your book. And this book is called Need You Now. Yep. A story of hope. And I was going to say when you were saying that, that the book, I wrote the book to tell my story, but if nothing else, to inspire others to tell theirs and it, it may have nothing to do with marriage. It may have nothing to do with anxiety. It may have nothing to do with depression. Um, but we all have a story to tell. And so whether you write a book, write a song, if you're a speaker in front of 20,000 people, or you're just having coffee with somebody, 
We all have a story and be willing to tell it. There's a tremendous amount of healing that comes from telling your story. There's a tremendous amount of accountability that comes from telling your story. And and I've, I've said that hope is oxygen and we all need to breathe. And I feel like when people are feeling hopeless, if you tell a story, like if you know of someone struggling with something or going through something that you've been through and you kind of keep silent, you're really robbing yourself of the privilege of being able to say, hey, I've been where you are or I am where you are. And giving oxygen to someone's lungs and just them feeling like they can come alive and breathe. Wow, what a story. What a story of the broken marriage and God's redeeming story. Wow. What's your story like? What are you going through? I hope this has been encouraging to you. Tiffany was great to uh, be able to give me some time. And for you to to listen and to hear her story. And hopefully it's been an encouragement to you to open up about your story. Whatever you're going through. May not be a broken marriage, but maybe it's uh, just your life and and, and, going through a very difficult time. It's time to open up to somebody. Time to share your story uh, like Tiffany talked about. And uh, again, if you want to look for her book or her song, Need You Now, go to my web or uh, show notes. You can find it there. And I'll also put the link to her Facebook page uh, to find out where she's touring. Uh, really follow her. Follow her and buy her albums. Um, actually, you probably don't really buy albums anymore, right? <laughs> Download them to your phone. I guess you can buy them, but, but it's digital now. I remember... Uh, being able to get CDs in the mail uh, when I was in high school. But we don't really do that much anymore now, do we? (laughs) So, well, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Tiffany, again, uh, for taking time out to talk to us and share your story with us. And uh, what a great uh, reminder that no matter what we're going through, no matter how broken we really feel, God is in control and God will redeem whatever it is you're going through. I believe it, and I want you to believe that as well. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening. Take care, and until next time, God bless. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.